This podcast sponsored by Prime Super, taking the complexity out of super administration so that you can get on with your business. Go to primesuper.com.au to see what we can do for you. Joining me now is uh, Dr. Kim Lind, a research fellow at Macquarie University. Dr. Lind, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. So currently, what does the literature tell us is the best course of action for osteoporosis treatment? Yeah, so um, it depends on the setting. Um, For uh, younger adults, um, we know that prevention is the best course. Um, So the best thing that we can all be doing right now to prevent osteoporosis is um, getting enough vitamin D, getting enough calcium in our diet, and doing weight-bearing exercise just twice a week. Um, That's the best thing we can all be doing. And then as adults get older, um, if their osteoporosis gets severe enough, um, they will want to be taking medications. So for a lot of people, um, that just means taking a vitamin D supplement. And if osteoporosis gets more severe, um, taking an anti-resorptive medication, um, which there's two different classes of those medicines, um, taking one of those medications um, is is very, very effective um, for preventing fractures. Um, and we hear a lot about preventing fractures because they they do terrible things to people. Um, for, for a lot of older adults, um, getting a fracture will mean losing their independence. It'll mean a significant decline in their health. Um, for some of them, it can even mean early death. Um, so it's, it's really important to prevent that. Um, and um, for people in residential age care, which was um, our uh, population that we were studying, um, it's especially important because they, they have a lot of the risk factors um, for falling and getting uh, low-impact fractures. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like you say, your, your recent study was concerned because obviously the mor- morbidity rates among those in residential aged care with osteoporosis and after falls and, and breaks and fractures is quite high. So what are you finding are the current trends of treatment in residential aged care? Yeah, so uh, we had a very large study. So we had um, over 10,000 residents who were in um, 68 facilities across New South Wales and the ACT. And um, one of the surprising things was that we found that um, for only about a third of residents, um, there was osteoporosis actually recorded in their electronic health record at the facility. Um, And that's really surprising because based on um, other studies internationally, we expect that rate to be something closer to like, say, uh, 80 to 90%. Mm -hmm. So only finding a third, um, we we don't think that's actually an indication of a um, truly lower rate of disease in Australia. We think that it's just not getting the attention it deserves. because we have people in residential aged care who they're so medically complex, they have so many comorbidities. Osteoporosis is just kind of this, you know, silent disease um, that may not um, cause particularly symptoms for someone, um, so they might not um, tend to it until they get a fracture. But um, just finding that uh, only in a third of um, the residents that uh, osteoporosis was documented, that was concerning. And then when we looked at um, the actual medication usage rates, um, we, ca- we found some good news and some bad news. Um, so the good news was that uh, the use of the vitamin D supplements is increasing a little bit. Um, but after we adjust for a number of factors, it just stays kind of flat. And vitamin D use was, I'd say, relatively high. I'll say in the ballpark of like 60% of residents using them. 
The thing that I was concerned about was that the use of the anti-resorptive medications, which are for the more severe cases, um, which we'd expect people to have more severe osteoporosis in residential aged care, those medicines are um, not being used very often, and the rates are actually declining even after we account for a number of factors, and that's concerning. What were the reasons that these were underused? So I would say in the early 2000s, maybe mid-2000s, there were some concerns about these medications. So there started to be these rare side effects that were reported. And I don't want to minimize how um, how scary the side effects are. I mean, um, they, they are concerning, but they are, on the other hand, very, very rare. And they occur in people who have been treated with one of the medications, it's called uh, bisphosphonate. Um, when people have been taking bisphosphonates for a long time, they are at risk of having these really unusual, we call them atypical femoral fractures. So that's your big bone in your thigh. They get these unusual fractures just from very low impact type of things, things you wouldn't expect to um, normally have a fracture from. So that really only occurs mm-hmm. in um, long-term use. But since that time, what we found is there are newer medications that have a um, they have a better side effect profile, and also we found that having what we call drug holidays, where basically you just take a break from using your medications for a while, um, for the for the osteoporosis medications, not all your medications, take a break from those for a while, and that has helped. I mean, compared to the risk of having, say, a hip fracture the risks are very, very minimal that someone would have one of these atypical fractures or they could also have, um, which is even rarer, uh, another complication, which is um, osteonecrosis in their jaw. And so, like you said, the positive was the vitamin D use. And I I would imagine that's positive for for the facilities because I'm imagining it's low cost. But how effective is vitamin D use on its own? Um, Vitamin D is is good for fractures, and it's also good for um, fall prevention generally. The current recommendations in Australia say that everyone, regardless of osteoporosis status in residential aged care, should be taking a vitamin D supplement. So uh, another thing that you found in your study or one of your conclusions was that fracture prevention should and can be improved. So what measures would you suggest? I'd really like to see... um, residents being engaged in being more active and just keeping people as active as possible. I think part of the issue is that uh, if you look at, say, the uh, aged care funding instrument, we call it the ACFI, and we look at the incentives essentially for funding, things like exercise and those types of interactions are really not um, supported. That It's so good for so many chronic diseases, so I think more of a focus on Ideally, we'd have less medication use because we could have more physical activity, um, people being more active, people having um, better diets, and I think that would that would be the best case. Could we also better identify those at risk of falls prior to the event? In your study, you uh, recognize that females, uh, people who are underweight, and people with a lower bone mass are more likely for fractures. Can, so can we identify people and, and work on uh, falls that way? Yes, and there's there's plenty of um, screening tools that can identify those who are at higher risk of falls. Um, so I think that's, that's something we can do very well is identify people. But I think what, what we see from the study is that um, osteoporosis is really not being 
identified or just not getting the attention um, it needs. And I think that it's just really it's competing with um, all these other conditions that people have. In an upcoming study that um, we're working on right now, um, we're looking at the complexity of um, all the conditions that residents have. So how do we bring the diagnosis up for osteoporosis? Like you say, it seems to be, you know, up to nearly a third or two thirds less than, you know, uh, over the rest of the world. How do we bring that up? Uh, I think it's awareness and um, making sure that um, for people who do need to be screened and people who need, um, uh, we call them DEXA scans, they're a dual energy x-ray absorptometry, that people who need those scans to confirm how bad their osteoporosis is, that they have access to them. Um, you know, you can imagine for someone who lives in a residential aged care facility, you know, it, it could be more challenging um, to get them out of the facility, transport them to somewhere where they can get their DEXA scan. So I think making sure that um, we're screening and diagnosing appropriately and also that um, when residents are incoming that they are getting a thorough review of all of their relevant health history and that their records are shared um, from their GP or if they have any hospitalization records, um, sharing information and making sure that care is integrated, I think is going to be one of those steps. I know you've also done some work on antipsychotics and um, we reported on a study uh, in this last week that found that antipsychotics play a massive part in falls and fractures up to um, 50% more um, likely to, to get a fall or a fracture. Um, do you think that plays a part in, in this? Um, that's definitely a factor and especially when we consider that um, the antipsychotics are largely being used in people with dementia. So that's really important because so people with dementia, when they have, um, say, a hip fracture, compared to people who don't have dementia, they are much more likely to have a second hip fracture within three years. And they're also more likely to die within 30 days of having that fracture. So it's really important that we um, also pay attention to uh, folks with dementia, which is, you know, it's, it's half of the residential aged care population. Uh, well, Dr. Lind, thank you very much for joining us to break up this uh, this study and delve into it. You're very welcome.